Carlos. Welcome to What If I Say Yes. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Finally here. I was looking forward to this. Good. So please tell the audience, who are you? Well, I am my mother's son, Virginia. My dad's son, Luis. I am a person who likes to laugh, to make people laugh, to think deeply, and to play with my daughter, Maya. And of course, hang out with you. <laughs> so now tell the audience, how do we know each other? Well, we both went to graduate school at the same time at the New School for Social Research in New York City. I went for my PhD in politics and later added historical studies. And I was just, I would say, hanging out occasionally in different parts of the, the university. And I remember that I would hear this, this person, like a, a laughter, a loud laughter, let me put it that way, a contagious laughter, friendly laughter. You hear that, those kinds of laughs from across the room and it's like, hmm, it's interesting. So that was the beginnings of that. And I kept looking around, who is this? And I would ask around and say, oh, this is a person who's part of this group that just came from Mexico. I met other Mexican, graduate students who came at the same time in the fall um, to study different different areas. But the one that I remember most is uh, asking you for help at a at the computer center. We had this second floor computer room. Again, we're dating ourselves now because it was just one they had at the time at the graduate faculty that the building that no longer exists. So I was sitting there and I knew you from a distance, may have met you indirectly through other friends, but I was sitting there and I could sense you, you were behind me and I wanted to get to know you. So I, I asked you, I pretended I didn't know how to use Word or whatever system we had that we were using at the time. So I asked you over, can you, can you help me fix this or help me how to, help me with this text somehow, deleting something or, and that's when I started connecting more and wanting to uh, get to know you more, but it was mostly listening to the laughter and I wanted to meet this happy person. So that's how I, I remember just bits and pieces of moments that fall semester of 2000 at the graduate faculty. And then what happened? Because you haven't established clearly what is our relationship <laughs> right oh. now? <laughs> so did we, did we, we eventually make... ended up obviously dating and marrying. Let me put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so you are my spouse. Yes. So now my side of the story. Yes. That year, a lot of Mexicans arrived to the new school. And the graduate faculty was this building where people who went to study philosophy, sociology, psychology, anthropology, poli politics, so many different things, we would be in the same building. So um, this big group of Mexican students um, was very visible 
um, audible. <laughs> and I was obviously one of them. Then one day I noticed a guy who wasn't Mexican, but who could speak Spanish, who was very friendly and was very nice to everybody. Not only to us, the Mexicans, but to every single person um, I ever saw you speaking with. And that was very refreshing <laughs> because I had come from being in relationships where men weren't like that in Mexico. I'm not generalizing, but um, my experience was not a very positive one dating in Mexico. And so just the basic, um, you were nice and a nice human being and friendly to everybody. That was a big plus. And then, um, well, at some point, I think I invited you to a party that Probably. one of our friends in anthropology was throwing in. I remember having bought a Organ an organic chocolate or something because I knew it was your birthday or it had been your birthday. Anyway, so yes, we started mm -hmm. dating. We went together to that party. And long story short, we have been married and we have a daughter and now I'm doing these interviews. <laughs> <laughs> and this is actually my interview number 25. So to celebrate this big accomplishment of reaching 25 people, <laughs> um, and I still have at least to go. I mean, um, I still have people who have already said yes to being interviewed by me. We wanted to mark this special anniversary by interviewing you, my very special guest, my dear husband. So. Well, if you wondered. <laughs> But when you said you were doing this, I was obviously nervous, but I was excited too because I'm—I've been watching the development of this channel and and the commitment that you've put into it, and I think it's going to go places. So I'm I'm honored and privileged to be part of the the 25th anniversary episode of your of your first season. And I have to say that you have been my first and uh, foremost admirer and supporter in my podcast my website and then it's like anything i come up with you're the first one to encourage me and keeping me sane in the process <laughs> mm -hmm. okay so once we have we have established um who we are <laughs> And while you're here on the 25th anniversary, let's go to the main question. So tell us about a moment in your life when you ask the question, what if I say yes? You said yes and did something. I don't know what you selected, what you're going to talk about, and then we'll see. So go ahead. Okay. So the bigger picture, and then I'll go into maybe a few details is this idea that this is something that I've gathered over the years thinking about that I, I, I seem to say yes to the the unknown. Mm. 
these challenges, these opportunities that don't necessarily mean that I will be successful in. I'll just jump in. So the first unknown, if you will, is the saying yes to getting on this bus. <laughs> when I was in high school with a friend of mine, my best friend at the time, we Frank. were let out on a Wednesday, Frank, mm -hmm. my best friend Frank at the time. Mm -hmm. Hello, Frank. <laughs> we were let out on a Wednesday afternoon, like many districts. I was in, uh, in Trenton, New Jersey at the high school and they let us out half day. Maybe it was a, some kind of a teacher's meetings. So on a Wednesday, we got out of the, uh, the high school building, the main building, and I saw this yellow bus, a set of buses, actually, right there on Chamber Street. And I asked him, I said, Frank, we have nothing else to do. It's, it was 1130, 12 o'clock. Let's just get on this bus. And he's, you know, he was hesitant. Like, I don't know what, what, the, what it's going to take us. So I was that kind of, always that kind of person. Let's just go and go with the flow. Let's do it. What so did the was, bus say outside or why? So it had, I believe it said something oh, like upward bound, upward bound Mercer County Community College. Okay. So I had no idea what upward bound was at the time. <laughs> and I've heard of Mercer County Community College at the time. It was a community college in, in, in central New Jersey. So we ended up getting on the bus. It took us through the town all the way to uh, downtown. And we were guided into this building. <laughs> and that's when I met uh, Stan Johnson. It was one person who I met uh, there. So that was my first yes. So wait, was it a bus from Mercer County Community College Station outside your high school? Or was it a, like a city bus that was going there? No, it was a bus. It was a yellow bus. A yellow bus? That, that had will transfer that... high school students to the community college. Okay. Or after school programs or other kinds of enrichment programs. And, and that you've was never seen it before? I don't remember seeing it. And if I did, I, it's just background. Um, and you have never met anyone from your high school who would take that bus? No. So, <laughs> so my internal curiosity that has gotten me in trouble also at times. But this time it was a, a success because I met someone who would be instrumental for the rest of my life until this day, Stan Johnson, who uh, um, guided me through my 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th years on this earth, trying to finish high school. So that was a very critical moment in my life, just saying that particular yes so it was it, I didn't explicitly say yes in that sense but I, I am always that kind of person so I say huh I wonder what this is what would that take me I might mm -hmm. find someone new or some learn something new I'm always big on saying yes to learning something new and that was mm -hmm. one big yes so you take the bus with Frank, you get to Mercer Community College, you get off the bus, and where did you find Stan? So they took us to this, uh, they call it the James Kearney campus, uh, downtown Trenton, 
and he was one of the counselors at the time who was assigned to talk to some of these upward bound students, even though I was not an upward bound student. Like, we kind of crashed the party, if, if you will. <laughs> we got on the bus and they're thinking, who are you, both of you? And uh, is this your first time? And then they ended up assigning us counselors just to, to see if we wanted to continue coming through the upper bound program. It was a free program for, again, inner city students, high school students. And they assigned me someone else, and I don't remember her name, and they assigned Frank Stan. So it, so that first day, at that time, we were almost attached to the hip, he and I. So then we ended up talking to Stan and the other woman to see if I can go with Stan too. So we can have the same schedule if we were to continue mm -hmm. coming in to see the upper bound counselor. And they agreed. She agreed. She didn't get offended. It's not her. It's just like, I want to be with my friend. And, and then over time, my friend unfortunately stopped coming. He decided it wasn't for him. And I continued coming in when I could. And Stan would provide, again, services that the Upper Bound program would, would have. The resources they had, tutoring services, for example, or um day trips at times so he would arrange day trips to college campuses for those who wanted to move on in the future so that was good that was good for me to get exposed to other things so that tiny yes my curiosity takes me on a bus takes me downtown takes me to the james kearney campus into the upper bound program and and then there i am the funny thing is that he, Stan, I believe he switched to the talent search program. So then I also went to that. I, I just switched over to the talent search program uh, later on. So I basically continued with him. So the term upper bound, does it have anything to do from going from high school to an upper level, meaning college or what? Explain it's to a, me that. It's term. a program. Um, if I remember correctly now, it's a program sponsored by, I think, I don't know the federal government, but the state, I know the state administers it, and here the community college gets funding to help students in um, urban centers, inner city, mostly, if not rural areas, who are, again, war working for, who don't have the resources, if they need assistance with tutoring, for instance, instance, um, uh, after school programs, so a place to go and be productive, reading, computers. Um, so it's a program that's, again, it's funded by the federal and the state government. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea, to try to fill the gap between those who are lacking certain skills and the resources and hope, and the hope is to try to get them along so they can eventually go to college. Get them like college ready. College ready, and not necessarily Mercer County, you know, the community college, but any. People just graduate high school and they get the skills necessary and they go to four-year schools, private, public. So that day you took the bus with Frank and then that means, so when, when you um, realized what this was about, 
you then took the bus other days to continue going to this program? I would take the bus to just walk because I didn't live that far hmm. from downtown. What year in high school are we talking about? This was, let's see, uh, I believe when I met him, I was sophomore. So very sophomore. early. I believe it was early sophomore, the spring semester, almost at, towards the end of the sophomore year. Did you continue with that program or attending that program uh, during junior and senior years? I did when it turned, when he, I basically followed him because then he ended up staying at the community college and running or being one of the counselors for the talent search program, which is so similar. The day you took that bus and you realized that this was a program to get you basically college ready, were you already considering going to college or was that not in your future plans? I was because I also played baseball at the time and I wanted to play for a um uh, uh, division one which is the highest level ranking baseball program so my eye was on either university of florida or university of miami at the time um so that was one way of thinking about it thinking i need to continue my education because i want to go to one of these top programs so that i can be recruited and go into the major leagues that was my plan thinking that i would be good enough to make it to the major leagues. And if not, I would have something to fall back on. So I was always thinking about college business was always on my mind, marketing, these kinds of programs, um, which is interesting because I did not pursue that route, even though I did in the beginning when I did go to college initially, mm -hmm. I did have a, I have a business associate degree. Mm -hmm. I do have that. Okay, so before I, I, I could continue exploring this route, but you mentioned you had several moments you can pinpoint when you, your curiosity and your, um, your wanting or your interest in the unknown led you to some other thing. So would you like to yes, bring so another one? Another one, it was early on, I was finishing high school actually, and I felt that I could do more. And I, I, I also felt that I had, did not have the, the, the skills, perhaps, not the, skills, the courage, let me put it that way, the courage to do more public speaking. And I didn't, didn't know how to go about that. So part of this curiosity or part of the saying yes to the unknown is uh, saying yes to opportunities such as emceeing or leading a um, a program. So when I finished high school, I went to college and that first semester, I consciously said, I'm going to break out of this, this mode. Um, and I said yes to, would you like to introduce a speaker in this event? Would you like to introduce this panel in this other event? Can you say a few words to these other students who are coming in from high school at this particular award show, award program? And I would say yes, yes and yes. 
So I started saying yes to being in front of people so I can maybe read a few words, present an award. So that was part of me trying to break out of that introverted self because I was very introverted at times and other times I was a little extroverted. Um, so that was another yes to myself. Did it bother you being introverted, being an introvert? Yes. Mm -hmm. Why did it? I, because I just saw that people around me were getting maybe ahead hmm. or getting opportunities that I didn't get because I wasn't being more vocal or um, uh, more assertive. Mm -hmm. And then over time, I, I remember counselors and teachers telling me that I was a pensive student and I kept, I, I saw that as a negative thing mm -hmm. as opposed to, no, this person thinks things through, mm -hmm. doesn't jump into conclusions, doesn't try to out talk someone else because I saw some of my classmates and I'm thinking, oh, that, that's what you have to do. Just, just jump in there and just say something. But I will sit back and I'm trying to make sense of the conversations. Mm -hmm. and seeing the contradictions that came out of their mouths <laughs> and even the humor, because that's another thing that I always pay attention to is the funny things come out of people's mouths and they don't realize it. <laughs> so you don't do that. You can't observe that if you're talking all the time. So mm -hmm. then I realized, oh, pensive over time, the pensive is someone who observes and thinks, thinks, thinks through before they, they, they speak. Mm -hmm. So then I, it took me a long time to to think about that being a, a positive trait. Mm -hmm. uh, before that, it was just, I need to jump in because everybody else is doing it and they're ahead of me, but then it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't something that I felt it was part of who I was, mm -hmm. the person who I need to take things in, marinate things in my mind, mm -hmm. and then bring it back out. So now the first time you did public speaking, you emceed something or you were in front of an audience, did you prepare um, with someone or did you just uh, prepare the first yourself time... or you didn't prepare and just threw yourself to that um, situation and then figure it out on the go? Well, the first time I was partly given some information about the speaker and they asked me to try to write something. So I did. So it was basic biographical information. And then others around me, the like the adults in the room at the time, I was 18 years old, and they would say that don't forget to acknowledge certain people in the audience. So they would give me names. Especially Why? when we had, you know, politicians or someone in the audience, because I, I, they threw me right in the middle of these events. Mm -hmm at the community college, because I started there, attended the community college and Mercer Community College, and they threw me on you know, the award events or some other event. And they would say, make sure you acknowledge the state assembly person who's sitting on the right. So I would do that. And then I would read the bio of the person who's going to be the keynote speaker, for instance. So I'll sometimes be the person who introduces the keynote address or the person who introduces the panel and the moderator. So I started that way. Were and then good? over time, I started getting opportunities that I can write my own 
speeches or can you say a few words that have this group of students who are uh, graduating with these awards? Do you mind saying a few words as a current student? Mm -hmm. I said, oh, sure. And then I would just get my little index card at the time, you know, the, the old-fashioned index cards, <laughs> put a number on the top, and then write down a theme. And I said, what can I say around this particular theme? And I'll just write it out in pencil because I knew that I can erase at times. So I would do in pencil, erase something, and I'll try to work on it ahead of time, two or three days ahead of time. And then I... I would ask for as much information as possible about the students, about their awards. And then I work my way slowly to writing a something short that would tell me how much time I had. So then I'll try to, I'll ask people what would be the most appropriate if I have an eight minute slot, five minute slot, three minute slot, and they will give me some pointers in terms of what, how many pages, how many words, practice the, the speed, mm -hmm. the tone. So I, I always relied on people who knew how to do mm -hmm. these things. Mm -hmm. So I, I would fly solo in a way, but not really, because I, I'm, I always say yes to community. I always look for people who I think can help me improve mm -hmm. whatever skill I'm trying to, trying to develop. Mm -hmm. were, you, were you good at the beginning or were you terrible and then you got better with time? I think it was, that was okay. I, but I've had those out of body um, experiences. Mm -hmm. So I remember one time having my, I, I felt my, my heartbeat on the, on, on the corner of my throat mm -hmm. and then thinking or seeing myself on the other side of the room, staring at myself, <laughs> these kind of moments, like, why am I here? But then I started going back to the, let me go back to the text <laughs> and keep myself focused. Or I would grab the lectern and squeeze it. Mm -hmm. And then over time, I started getting, it came easier for some reason. I thought it was going to take me longer to get mm -hmm. to that moment. But then I started realizing that it's about preparation and smiling. And if you smile, people will smile back and then you feel the vibes. Mm. People are not there to attack you. They're just there to get the information. Mm -hmm. And so when I smiled, they smiled. Mm -hmm. And that was helpful. If you go up there like this. Yeah. Right scared and stiff they'll get embarrassed and start doing this and they'll feel ashamed or embarrassed for you mm -hmm. but here i started realizing that no they they all know how difficult it is to be up at a podium mm -hmm. by yourself mm -hmm. with these lights pointing at you and that's why many people don't do that these kinds of things they rather have others do it but then i realized that with time i can prepare smile and it'll work out and it's happened so obviously many many decades have gone by since that <laughs> those mm -hmm. experiences <laughs> how are you at public speaking now i think i do pretty well as long as i'm prepared with the the substance for example i've done as an academic which i haven't shared i guess um i you know i do conferences presentations so I've gone from reading pieces to just mind mapping or outlining what I'm going to say, and then I go off that. Mm -hmm. So I don't need to have complete sentences written, written out for me because I now I know how to deal with um, or present in, in, in that way so that 
it'll be much better for people to follow mm-hmm. what I'm trying to to say as opposed to just watching someone's reading a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. So yes, by the o- way, over time, mm-hmm, I've improved. Going back, you mentioned super quickly that you went to the same college that was that yellow boss had that name, so Mercer County Community College. Yes. Why did you end up going to that college? Was that the only one, the closer one? Not the only one. Was it closer to home or was it the only one you knew because you have had that experience with the upper bound program? No, because I, I knew of others because as I said, Stan arranged different trips to different colleges, universities, private, public around the state of New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. But I realized that I was not, if I wanted to succeed in the long term, mm-hmm. I did not have the particular skills that I think I needed at the time. So, and it was cheaper. It was close to home. And I also wanted to make money and help the family as well. Mm-hmm. So I decided to let's just put in the work you know, when others were going out to different universities and colleges and leaving town. And I just said, no, no, I need to, I'd rather go better prepared to the university than go immediately and then flunk out because mm-hmm. I didn't have the skills. And that's what happens now. People go get into colleges and universities without having the skills and then they can't retain them because they don't have the skills to survive. So I said, let me just Flounder if I have to at the community college level, get my associate degree and move on and play some little bit of baseball too at the same time. That's what I did. I, I saw it as a opportunity to build my skills that I lacked coming out of high school and stay home close to the family and help out working part-time as well. So somehow I see a relationship when a similar thing between these and when they said that you were pensive and how you described that for you pensive was the most important thing was not raising your hand and just giving an opinion on something you hadn't thought through but for you pensive man you marinated things and you didn't open your mouth until something was fully developed and um, thought through so instead of just jumping and going to college because that was the next step you needed for your baseball career you you use that pensiveness to say well i'm not i don't have the skills i'm gonna take the time so again it's taking the time thinking through besides linking it to being a very nice person because that you were thinking about your family Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So that's lovely. So I can also continue uh, asking questions about this new route, but I wanted to go back to the, do you have another moment when you were attracted by the unknown? Ooh, another one. <laughs> well, yes, I, I <laughs> this is later on. Um, I was already at pursuing my bachelor's degree. So I already had transferred from the community college to the university. And I wanted to travel abroad. So one of those things that I wanted to do, even before then, I wanted to 
because first of all, I was born in Puerto Rico, but I was about two years old when we moved to New York City, and which means that my first language was Spanish, mm -hmm. my my native tongue. So I I went through bilingual of one of the first few. I'm gonna di divert the the conversation again. So I'm going different direction here for a second. So when I was in um, New York City, when we first moved to New York City, I was in the bilingual program. So, and that was one of the first bilingual programs in the city in the 70s. So I'm dating myself again, 1970s, meaning that you will be in classes with someone sitting next to you, trying to help you read the books that are written in English. And I'm this little kid sitting there, um, trying to learn another language while at home, we spoke just solely Spanish. So you can see how confusing that would be. You go to school, this special person, another teacher sitting next to me while other kids are doing things in English and I'm sitting there, again, not knowing the language and slowly moving towards that, being more competent and in, in, in proficient. Mm -hmm. um, so, that's one thing, just to say that I was, again, native speaker, Spanish speaker. Then over time, my Spanish stayed here and my English went this way. Mm -hmm. So now I consider the English the strongest language at this point. Mm -hmm. So I was going somewhere with this. Yes. So before <laughs> going up to college, transferring to where I went to Fairleigh Dickinson University, Madison campus, I was already thinking about pursuing Spanish training. So I wanted to know, I need to improve my, I want to bring my language back. So Stan was one who mentioned it in passing that there was an institute in Cuernavaca, Mexico for Spanish, uh, you know, for, for those who were wanted to study abroad and, and learn um, the language. So then I thought about it for a second and that idea moved on and I, I moved on. I, so need then to I, say, got... I need to say that I was growing up in Cuernavaca. So at that point. <laughs> so that would have been interesting if I had gone there back in 1988 or whatever the year that was, you were there. Mm -hmm. So, but then that, again, moved, I moved on from that. I transferred to Barry Dickinson University. Mm -hmm. And that is when this conversation came back because my advisor in my political science program, Peter Woolley, I had this conversation with him too about studying abroad or wanting to learn or not learn, but enhance my Spanish to bring it back to the level where my English was. Mm -hmm. And he mentioned, there's this Institute Academy in Cuernavaca. And he gave me a brochure and I wish I would have kept it. <laughs> so then again, Cuernavaca was there already. Two hints of, you know, that I, I would eventually meet somebody from Cuernavaca. <laughs> so then I, that's one of the things that I started thinking about. One is studying abroad and it finally happened. So then I finally said yes to that because other opportunities came and went over the years. And I kept saying, I'm not sure I don't want to leave my family. I've never really gone abroad in that way. So this opportunity came, 
while I was studying at uh, FDU, they had their own campuses. Well, at the time, they only had the Roxton College. They hadn't, I don't think, developed the Vancouver program yet or any other. Um, so then I ended up through Peter Woolley again, helping me uh, do this study abroad program in Roxton College. So that was that was a big yes, another big yes for me, going abroad for the first time for one semester. So it was a full semester without my family, all by myself. I remember the Continental Airlines flying away and thinking, wow, I won't be back to the United States of America until December, because I flew out in September. Mm -hmm. so that was interesting for me. Was that the first time in your life that you were leaving mainland USA? Yes. So you haven't Since even had... visited Puerto Rico at that point, gone no, back to Puerto Rico. I had nothing. not gone back to where I was born since, yeah, two years. I was two years old. Came to. Uh -oh. So wait, wait, wait. Ah, your image froze in my computer. So you so, hadn't gone back to Puerto no. Rico since you were two years old. Nope. And then at what age are we talking about when you were making this trip to the UK? Twenty-three? Mm, 20, I turned 23. So towards the end of my, that was basically my senior year. I had a few credits left because again, I transferred over because I, I ended up yeah, based on credits, I, I basically, yeah, I was a little older than the usual um, you know, graduate because of, I went part-time in the beginning before I transferred to FDU. So I, I it was around 22, 23, basically. So now I want you to give the audience a little bit of um, more context for all these instances when you mm -hmm. went to the towards the unknown had someone in your um close family and close-knit family had gone to college before you no so i'm first generation college attendee graduate at all levels basically so, because the unknown in that case, it's not only that you were going to college, it was that nobody in your family had gone to college and your immediate family, that's a term. Um, so there were many, many, many things you didn't know about that experience. And there was no one close to you, family-wise, because you had Stan, but there, were, there was no one in your family who could tell you, oh, um, this is how it goes. Or, so that's no, one so thing. this is that's it was huge because again that was something that I did not know existed. It wasn't around me. So part of this saying yes to that bus trip that opened up the the possibility of college. In that, again, you're thinking I'm thinking about going to college for baseball because of what I saw on TV. Mm -hmm. So if I followed a following my favorite baseball player, they were always mentioned. Oh, this person graduated from or attended. XYZ University, and then mm -hmm. they were recruited and they were drafted into the major leagues and what have you. And so that was what, or following college baseball on TV, watching the college level baseball players play. 
So it's funny, college came second, baseball first, looking at these connections. So in terms of your future, you were taking the cues from the world of sports. Correct. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Wow. So football, basketball, baseball, the world of sports opened up the possibility of, of a college experience. And Anybody then, but, in your family into sports like or had had a career in sports? No. Nobody. Not at that time. No. Later on, then I had a cousin who um, started getting into what have mm -hmm. you cousins playing baseball here and there, but then I had the one cousin who's focused on boxing. Boxing. Mm -hmm. My my cousin Luis Luis Rosado. Mm -hmm. So he he. But that was later on. I was already. I'm five years older, or somebody got a few years older than him. So. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the trip, so you're going to the UK. Had your parents or anyone in your immediate family traveled abroad ever? Mm, no. Other so than Puerto Rico. Parents, Puerto Rico's the only thing Puerto that they, Rico, they traveled to Puerto Rico. Mainland but, yeah. US. That was it. Right. Did you have a passport? Then I had to stand once again. We ended up going uh it was interesting because we that was the time with you know you don't have to deal with all these computers so you have to physically go we ended up going to philadelphia and standing in all these long lines so i can do every single part of the process so my first passport was for this trip to study abroad mm -hmm. so How did it, feel? it was it was interesting i mean the other part of it is that i i also saved i worked I've always been known to work all kinds of jobs, say yes to part-time jobs when I was younger. And so that summer before going abroad, I was working all kinds of jobs from first, second, third shifts. So I paid for the, the passport process as well. So I, I saved money initially for the trip. So Can we know myself. what kinds of jobs you had? Um, they were all legal. All legal, I think. Yes, they were all legal. So one was I play. I I I. Let's see. Over the well, not that summer, but over a set of years, because I've been working since I was fourteen. Mm -hmm. I haven't stopped working. Um, I've worked at a butcher shop. I helped, like, prepare hot dogs mm -hmm. and hamburgers chop up pieces of cows repairing meaning not that you get the bun and put the hot dog no no actually preparing the, the making the actual sausage in this place so you don't want to know what's in a, in a hot dog <laughs> all kinds of things remains right body parts and things like that but so at the butcher shop mm -hmm. i mean the, the good thing about that is that i ended up getting discounts for different kinds of meat for my parents so they were mm -hmm always asking me can you pick this up that up this up so that was good mm -hmm. um i worked in very different jobs in terms of assembly line building computer fans i remember that those little fans you hear in the the old the the the, the big cpus mm -hmm. those big giant boxes back then computers so cpu fans um surveillance camera company building cameras mm -hmm. 
which is interesting. That in some of these cameras ended up in some of the. I remember watching HBO, and Stephen King had this uh, Tales from the Crypt TV show, HBO okay. show, and they showed up in some of his scenes, surveillance cameras, <laughs> part of the movie. It was the GBC Corporation. I said, wow, those are the same cameras that we 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 built in New Jersey. We were building in that. So ended up in Stephen King's HBO shows. <clears throat> um cleaning offices late at night. So all kinds of jobs mm-hmm. uh, that I did. Yeah, over several years since age of 14. All the, all the way through driving um, uh, sedans, driving people to airports. So going from one airport to the next in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, New York City. So I was a driver, a driver for the for the for the wealthy. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that that's that's I, I did several things that I can remember right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, any other moment you would like to share about? Um, being attracted to the unknown. Well, another big one, of course, is going to going back to school because I I said yes, I made an attempt to do one thing that didn't work out, and I said I need to do something else. So I was I try to I I wanted to do, uh, pursue the law to go to law school. I did a summer program at Seton Hall Law School. And after doing that, I decided I don't think I'm, I will be able to put up with that for another, another two, three years. Mm-hmm. So I took another year off. I guess that could be a no in a sense, but that's, that's it's, it's, a, it's a yes to my heart mm-hmm. and what I was feeling at the time. Law school was not it. So then I said yes to going back to graduate school and pursuing a PhD. That was another big one, thinking that was never in my mind. It wasn't on any plans that I had before. I found myself wanting to pursue something that um, could continue expanding my uh, my own development, because I always thought about pursuing something that was challenging, uh, that I could then learn and grow with and share and and the like. So I said yes to graduate school. Mm-hmm. And of course, I ended up meeting you in graduate school. So <clears throat> that would have been a different path if I had not said yes to going back to graduate school. And that was the best yes you've said. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> then that led to other yeses with you by over the last 20 plus years. Yes to a family. Um, I don't know if this is a, this could be a, this is a big yes, but it was more, the yeses weren't under my control. Is basically the world saying yes, the universe saying yes to me in terms of a healthy child. Mm-hmm. Well, first a, a, a marriage, right? Getting married at the same time um a healthy child and a successful defense of a dissertation 
and finding a job at the same time. So four things happened within a span of four or five months, I, I would say. So the universe basically- Why not? Not the getting married. I'm sorry, no, not the getting married. The getting married, no. The getting <laughs> married was several years, seven years before that. Yes. So three things happened during a four or five month period in 2010. As I said, so it was basically the universe said yes to me because I was already, I think when you say yes and you are um, grateful for the things that you have and you align yourself with the right people, the universe, as I see it, aligns things for you. So we were in need of, again, these things happening. The daughter is coming. She came healthy and strong. And now she's, right, she's very successful, smart. Smart Maya. Um, and then I had a successful defense of my dissertation. And then I had the job. I had actually multiple job offers at the time. And we decided to say yes to moving to Texas. And that's another big yes to leaving the East Coast for the first time and living some other part of the United States. So going to South Texas. For, for three years, are you saying yes to that? It's so, funny. Yes. Two of your, two of your, uh, the yeses that you just mentioned um, have to do with yeses of previous guests. So mm. the my interview number twenty four with Derek, his yes was yes going to graduate school, and then Lupita Guadalupe Correa. I don't remember what number is she, but um, her yes was moving to Brownsville, Texas. So see. And then she was instrumental in that too, because that was part of the decision that we ended up making. So we, as I said, we had three offers. One of them was going to Brownsville, Texas. Mm -hmm. And because of her, a familiar face that also made it easier for us to go down to make a decision and start there um, among others where they, they they were going to give me that chance to teach graduate students too and the other places weren't it was just undergraduate so that was a good opportunity to say yes to leaving new jersey new york area um and teaching both undergraduate students and master's program students for the first time and that was exciting at the time so I can see that the thread of all these um, instances you've mentioned of going towards the unknown had a lot to do or have a lot to do with curiosity. You're a very curious person. Were you like that since you were a kid? Yeah. Yes, very, very um, curious very pensive at the same time. So that could be related in many ways. And, and just couldn't stay still. So I, I've learned how to how to stay still and calm. So it was like a very precocious, I guess. Um, so yes, that, that's, that's the relationship is by curiosity. And if I felt that I needed to do something different, I would pursue it. So I, I would have those those yeses. So I would say I would say yes more than no, but I also knew my my limits. I I I, I also know that 
there are things that have consequences. Yeah, because that that's the other thing that is is a threat in all these things you've mentioned or in, in all these moments that you've described. It's not only the curiosity or the being pensive. It's also that you somehow, and it's not because you're my husband, but I can see that um, that inner knowing um, of what is right and what is wrong, of what feels good to you and your family and what it's not. Um, it's not curiosity just for the sake of it and let me just try this mm. stupid thing that maybe is going to hurt someone. Is you have a very clear, and I'm missing the word in English, but it's like a. What's something. in Spanish? In I don't Spanish even, for me? No, okay. I cannot think of the word in, in French. In Spanish or in English? <laughs> in French, maybe. Um, inner compass. Okay. Inner moral compass that is very clear that leads you. So using this pensiveness and this curiosity and this interest in the unknown, you know where you know when it should be a yes and you know when it should be a no. Interesting. Am I, right? I think so. Interesting because I, 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 I live life from the inside out. <laughs> Explain people, what you mean by that. Well, people seem to want to live life from the outside in, like my identity first, my skin color, my hairdo, my nose rings, my what have you, my tattoos or whatever it is that I see as um, kind of arbitrary in a way. So for me, it's, it's the inside. We all have an inside intuition we have we all have a moral compass in in a way the way you put it but others pay attention to it more than you know than, than others i guess some people pay attention to to this moral compass more than others mm -hmm. and for me it's just that idea that i see people it sounds cliche see people from the inside but it's i can't explain it it's just i i i have this I don't know what it is, the ability to sense when people are being genuine or not. Um, and I'm attracted to people who are who are themselves, who are connected to that, to their mm -hmm. moral compass, if, if there's such a word, to that thing that's unknown. <laughs> so that's part of it as well. So I, 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 I that's one of it, one one part of it. The other part of it is I also like to see what is gravitate to, to people who want to be successful mm -hmm. in different ways or have positive things to, to say. So which doesn't mean being optimistic or no. No, no. And so contribute something to right someone so else's life contributing something to someone's life who are grateful don't take things for granted because i i uh, that's another thing i always tell maya don't, don't take things for granted how to smile um avoid shortcuts that's another thing that I, I don't know where that came from but i always thought i need to do things which is part of the pensiveness i need to do things right 
um, so I can be prepared for anything that comes. So I'm, I always think about my principles. So that part of the moral compass, I, I stand on my principles and my principles do not free flow. I, 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 they, they stand in, in the middle of storms, in the middle of family crises, in the middle of um, celebrations. I try to stay even keel. Right, integrity is one big principle of mine that I, I always go back to, mm -hmm. and I make decisions based on that. Say, like, wait a minute, I have a, I like myself. <laughs> Let me put it that way. That's another thing. I don't know. It's not really being egotistical, but I think I it, it may come off that way sometimes. People <laughs> because people look at again, they're looking at the outside in as opposed to the inside out. So if you go from the inside out, they know that I. That's where my confidence comes from. Mm -hmm. It's not my externals and. Um, so that's, I don't know how to explain that, but that's, and I also, that's what I, that drove me in when I was doing public speaking. No, I'm going in mm -hmm. because this is what's going to keep me grounded and still, mm -hmm. and then I can offer something to people. So that's what I've done over the years is focusing on my internals and trying to connect my internal with your internal. People call it soul, people call it all kinds of names. Did you so, learn that from someone close to you, your family, or did you just come out like that? <laughs> I think, well, I think I came out that way, but then I started, again, connecting with people who, who had the words that could help me put it into words. Like Alvin Haywood is another person that I hadn't mentioned, mm -hmm. who was big as well in my life. Um, in terms of that, connecting my internals, with other people's internals, the, the intuition, the soul. The, it's hard to explain. It's really hard to explain. And I have that with um, with animals too, believe it or not. I'm exposing myself here, people. So I, I, for some reason, I could be at a park and I get, and you've seen it before. In my scene, I say, why do they come to you? Why do they go to you? They could be me. walking as a family and the I'm dog walking, comes to you. And squirrels will come around. They have birds flying <laughs> I got hit in the face. So, and I have dogs coming straight to me. I don't know what it is. So it's that don't do with the externals. I'm I'm not walking around with a piece of chicken, like, you know, attracting dogs or food, dog food, or it just happens. You know what rem so. that reminds me of? So growing up in Cuernavaca, there was this woman, this wonderful woman named Celedonia who came to our house and that's she right. worked cleaning the house and doing the laundry. And um, I was very close to Celedonia. She loved me um, since I was a little girl. Um, so she, she's, she saw me growing up and she knew me very well. Um, and I had, I think I had, she had met two of my previous boyfriends before you and didn't like two or three didn't like any there was something she could feel since the moment they said hello with you <laughs> we go to the house my parents house and Celedonia is in the kitchen and so I introduce you to you come you hug Celedonia she hugs you and then a few minutes later, just a very brief interaction you must have 
talked about something. I don't know. There was a brief conversation and then a few minutes later, or maybe when you were not in the room, she turned to me and said, now that is a good candidate. <laughs> <laughs> so, I remember the moment. I remember the, I walk in the room and it, it was a warm feeling. Yeah. That's the thing. I, I, I can feel it immediately. And then and I said, she's huggable. So I went over. <laughs> yes. Imagine meeting the, a person for the first time and you open up your arms and mm -hmm. she comes in timidly and like kind of <laughs> like a big bear. I, I give her a hug. Mm -hmm. And that was it. That was the beginnings of, and then after that we had, you know, we would laugh and every time I visited. She loved you. She loved yes. You. Always ask about me. And, um, <laughs> so that's, 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 that's interesting, but that's what I, what I feel, I feel something, uh, and it's, you know, and it's hard to, to have that in the world of academia or in any other kinds of disciplines, because people are, again, looking at the externals, looking at what you produce, what are you writing? And if you're stuck in that world or seeing the world through those frameworks or theory, like the theoretical frameworks, as opposed to connecting, right? Just being still and connecting to the person who's in front of you and, and, and their vibes. People always emit vibes and, and I feel them. And I, you know, I gravitate to people who, who, who are positive or who, who, who give me that, that, that feeling. Um, again, it's, it's nothing to do with fuzzy feeling or, cause I'm not, you know me, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm also straightforward. This is what I'm. What I think. Mm -hmm. This is what you, you should do. So I'm not a pushover. Let me put it that way. But I do know that I can connect with people from the inside, and those who don't fit, I just say, you know, they, bye bye. I, I don't relate with people who <laughs> who give me these vibes, mm -hmm. and that's how is I've that, been. Is that in any way related to your interest in the Quakers? Probably. So that, that fell again, that was a, uh, uh, the universe again, or something, you know, if you believe in God, it may be God. I don't know. I don't, I just think about the universe or something basically aligned this my way. Cause I, as you know, I went to the archives to research a different kind of question about Puerto Rico. For your, and, for your dissertation. For my dissertation, I went in to the archives at Haverford college. Um, to investigate some a different set of questions about Puerto Rico and constitutional law. And I come out of there with a different project. And I had to go back to my advisor at the time, Victoria Haddam at the New School of Social Research. And again, th granted, this is after I had orally defended my original proposal, after all this work, I go off to do research in the archives and I come back even more excited than the original accepted proposal. So then. But wait, wait, wait. Can we know what you found in the archives? Well, I found a set of. Well, the research that I went to conduct at Haverford at that time was for one particular chapter of the original proposed dissertation. Mm -hmm. And that chapter was focused on Howard Taft, <laughs> mm -hmm. who's 
again, president. He was also associated, he was, the, I believe, governor of the Philippines or associated with one of the insular territories. So that chapter was supposed to be on him and his work with the Philippines. And so then I ended up finding that he would attend these Quaker-run conferences in upstate New York where these issues, the post-Spanish-American War debate, was being had there and he was part of it. He would come in and out. And, and then I kept finding that not no one or not many people mentioned these conferences and, and they were very important for the rather the empire, the early 20th century American empire debates. What are they called, the conferences? Oh, the, let's see, the Friends of the Indian and Other Dependent Peoples. So friends of the Indians and other dependent peoples. Hail so that I lake. at the Lake Mohonk mm -hmm. near Poughkeepsie, New York. Mm -hmm. So it, so then I found that these Quakers um, of all kinds were involved almost behind the scenes in state building in in an empire building. <clears throat> at the same time, trying to make sense of the humanitarian conditions on some of these, you know, in Puerto Rico, in the Philippines, um, Nicaragua, different places that the U.S. was, again, expanding its empire. So then I got more excited about the, or the prospect of, let me focus on these conferences and these Quakers, because it again, I'm reading these papers and the way they were writing and thinking about the, the the dependent peoples I started connecting with. I'm thinking, oh, interesting. So I went back and I spoke with Vicki Haddam and she said, you don't have to go through the entire process again of defending it. Just write a short three to five page version. And I I produced it overnight. That's how incredible that this this, this epiphany happened. I went back home on the computer, typed it up. And the next day I went back to her, turned it in and she looked at it. And then she was more excited than I was. And then I'm thinking, okay, so if this was more exciting, so why on earth did I end up defending the other one and passing if that wasn't as exciting as, as this? Well, so then this allowed me to go back to the archives and begin um, to do research and writing with even more um, commitment because I, and now I had a, 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 a clearer path in terms of what I was wanting, wanting to do. <laughs> and it connected more with what I believed as well. So even though I grew up Catholic and I really don't follow Catholicism or I'm not religious in that way, I, I think something more uh, um, fundamental exists that informs religion. So I mm -hmm. move away from the dogmas and the right these rituals. And I focus on, okay, what is it that makes people connect with nature and connect with others in a more fundamental way? And this is what these, again, they were human too. Despite their good intentions, they were still enhancing parts of the US empire. So I realized that, and that's part of the research. But then with me connecting with something that I can actually uh, relate to from a different perspective, 
right? Being born in Puerto Rico as well. And that was one of the cases. So again, things started aligning themselves. And I've been able to produce uh, articles, publications out of this work. It has also opened up other avenues in the Quaker studies world. So now I, I, I've been saying a lot of yeses because I feel very comfortable in the Quaker studies universe, if you will. So I've made a lot of colleagues that had not known before and didn't know that existed as a discipline. Mm -hmm. And it's been growing more and more. And I'm glad that I am part of it. And I've been included in it, despite not being a Quaker in, in religious terms uh, myself, but I'm uh, Quakers and Quaker scholars have um, pursued me for different reasons, uh, conferences, publications, interviews. So that's been very gratifying because it, again, it's, it's connected various interests of mine with who I am mm -hmm. and the things that I want to do pursue in the, in the future. And the Quakers have humor too. There's <laughs> the funniest people as well. And that's another part of me that we haven't talked about my interest in comedy and humor. And I've also fallen back. I've, I've, I've gone back to that when I find myself stressed out um, or in different kinds of situations, I go back to my principles, but also the my ability to make people laugh or find the funny in in tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a little bit scary. <laughs> so now um, we're gonna have to change now to the moment of no because you and I are recording this interview at home. You're in the mm -hmm. living room, I'm in our bedroom. And Maya, uh, we have to go pick up Maya because she's at a rehearsal of the musical Footloose mm -hmm. for her, um, in her middle school. So we have a few minutes for you to share with the audience. What was a moment in your life when you decided that saying no was a much better option? Uh, let's see. Was, um, well, no, I don't want to get into the details, but no to certain relationships in the past. Um, so I'll leave it at that. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, okay, we're done. So that's, that's a big no. <laughs> well, no to the law school path that I thought I was going to be on, and I kept hammering what's the phrase when you're trying to hammer a a, 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 a square block into a round hole hmm. kind of thing you're trying to force it in and i'm trying mm -hmm. to force the law in you know over the years basically and realizing you know that i can find those interests elsewhere but i don't have to be a lawyer to find the law and to engage in legal theory or constitutional history or legal history and, and so I've done that mm -hmm. um, so that's a big no in terms of what to pursue in terms of a career and yeah and no no to negative people <laughs> when I sense there's people who are not um, people who are again who can uplift my spirits or at least maintain my 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 spirits. 
not just me or my family. I, I try to again move away from from those kinds of environments. And I've been lucky in the past too of not being in certain places when certain things happen. Mm -hmm. Bad things happen, and for some reason I'm not there because I've made decisions based on my intuition. I'll say no, that's not right. My moral compass, the way you you said it, tells me no, that's not the right thing to do. I'd, I'd rather stay put. I'd rather not. Um, associate myself with certain people or certain programs, certain situations. And that's that's helped me immensely. So that those are the boundaries I've, again, going back to the boundaries of, uh, of saying yes and no, the, the principles are there. And for some reason, I have this intuitive ability to um, not be in the wrong place. <laughs> Is that the right place? Yeah. <laughs> not be in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> well when um, it's by choice because at some in some yeah, instances you end up being in the wrong place at the wrong time mm -hmm. you didn't even know it was going to happen <laughs> and then sometimes you you know you, you have the ability to try to navigate and alleviate the whatever <laughs> the situation hopefully okay yeah, that's, that's, that's the know mm -hmm. so before ending this lovely interview um i'm going to task you is that correct task you i'm gonna mm -hmm. task you with going back to your um the moment when you said you wanted to give more and be like do public speaking or emceeing something i'm gonna task you with um closing this first series of 25 interviews linking them with hector the text he wrote and the person you knew him to be so a final mini speech from you to celebrate these first 25 interviews mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then we'll go pick up maya <laughs> okay so i'll say yes to this task yes please <laughs> that's my future yes the question you always ask it what is your future yes this is my current that my current future yes um, <laughs> okay no so Hector I mean Hector meant a lot to me for various reasons we don't have the time to, to share at this point but he was a again a person who lived from the inside out and that's another thing that I found attractive um and that also allowed me to be honest with him and he he honest with me when we had family situations, he helped me out with you know, on the phone or in person, and we connected. We ended up sharing um, text and books, recommendations over time, uh, people who are these kinds of uh, thinkers or teachers, intuitive, mindfulness, whatever word you want to use. Um, he was also very kind i don't know if i mentioned this well i did mention it to you but let me mention it here he was the only person other than yourself from the family to attend any conference presentation of mine mm -hmm. so he went to the graduate faculty one afternoon he took the day off because he knew i was presenting a paper on jacob landinsky on the supreme court well it was a landinsky conference 
And I was I jumped into something new when they asked me, you want to do a paper on on the on the Supreme Court or constitutional law? And I said, yes. <laughs> and I presented and he was right there taking notes. I didn't remember that. So he was the only, it was great to see a family member. Again, I was presenting something new, challenging for me at the time. And I was just, I was just finishing up. I was just in my first year in the PhD program after finishing up the, the master, second master, my second master's there at the graduate faculty. So it was 2003 and he was there. So he was so kind and he honored, right? He, well, you know, sometimes people say that, oh, well, I'll be there. And I, okay, you. it's going to be in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week. And he apparently took the day off. He showed up, sat a few feet from me, smiled. That was his way of saying, I'm here. And then I, that eased my, my anxiety. Again, I'm surrounded by other graduate students and other public uh, figures, professors and the like. And I'm... Um, found my, my center because I knew that he was there as well. Another person who, again, from the inside out, this connection. And it went very well. I, I received and answered questions. And I honored Jacob Landinsky, who had passed away the year before. And they, the conference was named after him. And then I had, again, another instrumental person in my life, Hector sitting towards my left. And I was right there. So it went pretty well. So again, very kind, committed to family. And I think what you have done here, representing what he stood for, I won't say it stood, what he still stands for. Let me put it that way, because I'm talking about the inside out. He still stands for this and he is still present. Mm -hmm. And this is why this is still something um, that we have to pay attention to. The what if I say yes is um, part of this legacy. Let me put it that way. The legacy of you know, Hector, and he would have, appreciated he will commit himself he will probably be one of the interviewees if you were right he would be right front and center uh because obviously he's he's a person who said yes in, in, mm -hmm. in many ways and that's why he wrote that letter yeah so i i think this is a good way of honoring him and continuing his legacy and I'm, thank you very much for doing this and invited me on the 25th anniversary and it's just <laughs> the beginning everybody this is the beginning for those of you who are watching uh so look out for other projects within the same framework of saying yes not just this youtube channel because i know you also have other ideas in mind and see where where where, where they go where they take you and take us so Very that's nice. part of me saying yes is being part of the journey as we all say, yes. Thank you, Amorcito. Mm -hmm. Okay, so last thing, reminder to send me the pictures, the images that you would like to share with the audience so they can, they heard what you described. Maybe we can have some visuals of um, what you looked like and what you were doing in all those instances when you... Mm -hmm. Uh, went to the unknown. Maybe. And... <laughs> if I can find some. <laughs> I have um, a baby picture, but I'm kind of half nude. No. A baby picture. No, no, no <laughs> naked pictures of no any naked age. Pictures. Thank you very much. <laughs> I said from the inside out. 
<laughs> All right. No, thank you. That's Red Deep in chat. That's my my humor in the future, right? My comedy. <laughs> bueno, okay. mercito corazón. Muchísimas gracias. I love you. Thank you mm -hmm. so much for coming. Thank you. Love for... you too. Supporting me in this, and now we have to go pick Maya up. Okay, love Bye you too. And see you. See you in a few minutes. <laughs> Bye. Bye.